السلام عليكم Bismillah, Bismillah. Alrighty. We're gonna get started in just a minute or two. Inshallah. All right, you get started in just a minute here, waiting for people to kind of come on in. And uh, <clears throat> also trying to. Get this situated. All right. This is enough. So we left off on number 45. Left off on number 45. The author says the following. So he says, radiallahu that any deed that comes forth from a heart that is not attached to this world, any deed that comes forth like that is not small. And any deed that comes from a heart that is seeking some sort of worldly benefit, then no matter how big it is, it is not big. So any deed that comes from a heart that is not it cannot be small. And any deed that comes from a heart that is 
attached to this world and seeking some sort of worldly benefit, then it cannot be big no matter how big it is. So again, we have uh, the kind of juxtapositions that we often find in this work between various types of situations. So you have the situation of the person whose deed is coming from their heart and their heart is not seeking anything other than God in the, in the acting of that thing, then that deed will be big. And the one on the other side of it, you have the person whose deed is coming from a heart that is seeking something. It's a raghib. It's a raghib. It's seeking something. And because it's seeking something, it kind of loses its power. It's not as big. It's not as great as it would have been had the person not been in such a state internally. Um, one of the things that's really interesting about that, I think, is that, you know, this, this is an issue of adab, actually, in reality. It's an issue of adab. Um, how do I have good manners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Because if I have good manners with Allah, then I'm not seeking other than Him in the thing that I do. And so it just is reminding of the statement of Ruwaym, from the early imams who said that we should make our deeds like flour or, or like salt and make our edib like flour so you make the if you're baking something when you're baking something you put a lot of flour right and usually you put just a little bit of salt for people that don't bake you might not understand the analogy that he's giving but um, it's almost worth it to bake something just so you can understand the analogy. So what he's saying is that we should make our manners and our character the flour and make the things that we do the salt. And if we do that, then what comes out will be beautiful. And if we make uh, all of the things salt and very little flour, then you're not going to be able to taste it. And so the best etiquette in, in doing a deed for the sake of is is for it to be for the sake of God, and therefore to not seek other than that. And um, that means that we, the verse from the Quran, which says, "Verily, we feed you for the sake of God, and we don't want any reward or thanks." You may get reward and you may get thanks, but that's not the reason why one does the thing. Uh, perhaps that's a good thing to think about in these days where uh, I think, inshallah, many people in the Muslim community are, will be in, uh, and are mobilizing to try and get food to people who need food and to get aid and support to people who need aid and support, uh, especially in a time like this when many are out of work and so on. And there should be no reward that a person is seeking for that. There should be no even thanks that a person is seeking, seeking for that. I'm doing this for, for God. Yeah, one should be thanked. If one got some sort of recognition or something, they get it. But that's not the point. And that includes, by the way, PR. So sometimes, you know, in the Muslim community, people will be very particular that we don't want any sort of reward, uh, recompense for the thing that we're doing. Because we're doing it just because it should be done. Uh, but then at the same time, we're kind of like hoping for some good PR out of it. And, you know, it may come, it may not come. We must do what is right because it is right, not because of uh, some sort of external thing that might be connected to it. Uh, and then on the other side of it, so if, if you do a small thing like that, then to do a small thing like that will have, uh, it won't be small. It won't be small. And you see that a lot, like you might have some instance that someone, you know, reflects on. They say, this thing changed my life or that thing changed my life. And it might be something seemingly very small. One thing someone said, one thing that the person did for them, whatever it might be. But at the same time, maybe that was something that really came from a good place. And because it came from a good place, even though it was seemingly small, it was, it was still big. Another reason why that's important is because sometimes we downplay the good that we do or we uh, lose hope in our ability to do good because we want it to be big and we want it to be amazing and we want it to be all of these type of things. 
Um, and this is reminding us that any good that you do is good. It could be really big, it could be really small in the eyes of the people, but if it's done with sincerity, then it's actually really big. Um, and of course, that's also from the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who commanded us to uh, which is the don't look down on any good that you do even if it is simply meeting your brother or your sister with a smiling face even if that was the only thing that was that you did then that's still a good thing and don't think like that's not worth doing it is worth doing whatever that good thing that you want to do that it might seem so small if it's a good thing it's worth doing as long as the heart is in the right place and it's not seeking uh, some sort of benefit from behind it right <clears throat> so he says in the commentary um, uh, so he says in the commentary let me read it يعني أن العمل الصادر من الزاهد في الدنيا كثير في المعنى وإن كان قليلا في الصورة لسلامته من الآفات القادحة في قبوله من الرياء والتصنع للناس وطلب الأعراض الدنيوية بخلاف الصادر من الراغب فيها فإنه على العكس من ذلك So he says the deed that comes forth from a heart that is not seeking anything from this world it is big in its meaning, even if it's small in its form. It's big in its meaning, even if it's small in its form. And uh, because it is free from any sort of defects, that, um, such as trying to show off or making oneself look a certain way in front of the people or seeking some sort of worldly benefit, it doesn't have any of those things. So even though this, the form is small, the meaning is large. And on the other hand, there's that which comes out seeking something from this world, and it's the opposite. And then he says in the commentary, وَقَدْ شَكَ بَعْضُ النَّاسِ لِرَجُلٍ مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ أَنَّهُ يَعْمَلُ أَعْمَالٍ بِرِّ وَلَا يَجِدُ لَهَا حَلَاوَةً فِي قَلْبِهِ فَقَالَ لِأَنَّ عِنْدَكَ بِنْتِ بْلِيسِ وَهِيَ الدُّنْيَا وَلَا بُدَّ لِلْأَبِي أَنْ يَزُورَ ابْنَتَهُ أَنْ يَزُورَ ابْنَتَهُ فِي بَيْتِهَا so he says that a man complained to one of the righteous people that they do these good deeds, but they don't find any sort of sweetness in their heart from doing these good deeds. You know, they, They're not finding the sweetness of them. So the person said, um, that's because you, you have the daughter of Satan with you. You have the daughter of Satan with you. And love of this life, this world, this dunya. And the father must visit the daughter in her home. And her home is your heart. And whenever he comes in, he, nothing comes from it except bad. So what is it saying? Saying, why don't you find that good? For, he's saying, the person came in and complained, I don't find good, I don't find sweetness in my heart from the good deeds that I do. He said, okay, here's the reason. Because you have some uh, attachment to this worldly life, uh, you have the daughter of Iblis with you. And the father must visit the daughter in the daughter's home. And the daughter's home is your heart. And that daughter of Iblis is love of this world, is dunya. So because you have that in your heart, that means Iblis has to visit you, Satan has to visit you in your heart, and whenever he goes into something, he messes it up. That was his answer to him. It's a very interesting answer. Um, perhaps there's some things to reflect upon there. Okay, so now we go to 46. As I mentioned before, if people have questions or things, you can put them in the chat, the comments area. I'll see them since I'm in front of the computer now.
Mm. We're going to read the commentary on this one because it's quite beautiful. Allah, Allah, Allah. By the way, just uh, I think it's appropriate to mention that in the past we covered the hikmah, which roughly along the line said, uh, that nothing benefits the heart like an isolation by which the person enters into the battlefield of contemplation. And we had talked about how uh, when we enter into the battlefield of contemplation, it is a battlefield. When we go and we isolate ourselves at some level, you probably catch the connection. When we isolate ourselves at some level, then that leads to an internal facing journey. And that internal facing journey of contemplation and reflection and so on uh, is a maidan. It is a battlefield. It is, this, it is the heart of the battle. And so, as I had mentioned last night, it's possible and uh, very much likely, I believe, that in these coming days, when we're isolated in our homes more and more, um, probably people in California saw the news that some of the last I saw six counties in Northern California are on uh, shelter in place order. So they're not supposed to leave at all. Uh, unless they have some sort of really emergent situation uh, or for one of their necessities or so on. So that means you're going to be sheltered in place. That means you're entering into the isolation, which means that you're going into the battlefield of contemplation. And we should take this. It's, it's, it's oftentimes fearful for people. Um, they don't like to be alone with their thoughts. They don't like to be stationary. And they don't like to be kind of feeling stuck. And we should take that as an opportunity to look within. And, uh, you know, we might, we'll probably find some things that we're happy about. We'll probably find some things that we're not so happy about. But we should nonetheless embrace the opportunity and try to benefit from it insofar as we can, inshallah. So we're on 46. That takes us to 46, inshallah. 46 is husnul a'mali nata'iju husnul ahwali wa husnul ahwali min at-tahaqqiq fi maqamat al-inzan husnul a'mali nata'iju husnul ahwali wa husnul ahwali min at-tahaqqiq fi maqamat al-inzan so Uh, it's very hard to translate this one. Let me. I'll share. I'll share the share the link once I find the link right now. Um, So we're on 46. Let me see how he translated this. Good works are the result of good states. Good states arise from the stations wherein abide those who have spiritual realization. So this is saying that your good deeds, they come from what's the good deeds, they emanate from what's inside. And uh, so the good deeds, they emanate from what is inside. And so one obviously must seek to rectify that which is inside. And that is uh, one of the things that oftentimes happens in tragedies, is that what is inside becomes apparent, uh, or what is inside becomes more clear uh, even if we had not really seen it or paid attention to it before that, but it was still there. So there's different injustices and problematic ways of living that perhaps come to the forefront when you face uh, or we face as a collective uh, situations like the one that we're in. Uh, 
So you see people buying a bunch of toilet paper. Someone had an interesting post. They said that it's actually logical and rational for them to buy a lot of toilet paper because, you know, that's the philosophy of, of our civilization, which is all I can ever do is consume something. So, you know, if I'm going to sit at home all day long and consume things, then what am I going to need? I'm going to need toilet paper. Um, but sometimes, you know, the deeds will manifest and we'll see other things too. You'll see other things too in times of, of difficulty. You'll see beautiful things manifest as well. You'll see people who, who really they have good in them. And so that starts to come out in these times of difficulty. In any case, the good deeds, they come from the good states. The good states come from realizing some sort of thing as relates to one's spirituality, which is kind of vague. So we're going to read the commentary. يعني أن الأعمال الحسنة إنما هي نتائج أحوال حسنة قائمة بالقلب من الزهد في الدنيا والأخلاص لله تعالى لا لطلب حظ عاجل ولا ثواب آجل ولا ثواب آجل وحسن الأحوال ناشئ من التحقق أي التمكن في مقامات الإنزال أي I'm trying to find a good place to stop it's not really a good place to stop yet, so I'll come back to that. So let me do this first part first, and then we'll come back to it, inshallah. Okay. Uh, so the first part says, this means that good deeds, they're the result of good states that are established in the heart. Good states that are established in the heart. And this is something that we believe in. We believe that the heart has different states. We talked about that last week. All of these kind of things. Asking what is your hal, what is going on with you. And sometimes that hal might be such that good comes from it very easily. And sometimes that hal might be such that it's very difficult to get good to come out of it. So those the um, good deeds, especially those that are continuous, are coming from good states. Such as um, not seeking things from this world or being sincere to Allah, not um, seeking something even in, in the immediate or in the long term, only seeking Allah. Uh, and so that's, those are examples of these good states that are inside of the heart. And these good states, they are the consequence of a tahakkuk, some sort of realization. Um, like it really like you it's the is like when you get it you know like when you learn something and it sits there and and you kind of like get it you understand it whatever but over time you really get it the like you really you're like ah i know um like the story that i often tell of one of the brothers who had some of his friends die in a car accident some some many years ago now and he was he was a young brother in high school at that time, and um, um, you know, and they he his his friends died in a car accident, and he came to me and he said, you know, you were telling us all the time that we don't know when we're going to die and when death might come and so on and so forth. He's like, and now I understand it. Before I used to not really get it, but now I understand it. So that moment, that's his moment of tahakkuk. Like he really got it now. He really got it. So um, these good states are a consequence of that tahakkuk, that realization, which he then goes on to define as establishing oneself in the stations of, of, of that which descends, meaning uh, that which descends upon the hearts of the knowers of God. Uh, So there's like this knowledge of, of God, these glimpses of knowledge of God, of pure truth that descend upon the heart. And when the person kind of like latches onto those and really gets them, uh, then those, those are the things that give birth to these. Um, SubhanAllah, it's really profound. Give birth to these, uh, these states. I think it just started raining. I'm just hearing it now. 
Allah make it uh, Allah alleviate the suffering of the people and write the care providers from the Mujahideen and give them and their families patience and perseverance and strength may he give healing to all those who are sick and may he by his power and by his might and by his beauty lift and alleviate all that we are suffering from Ya Rabbi, ya Rabbi. so uh, so these things are things that descend their understandings of God that descend upon the hearts of those who know him Subhanallah. So he says that these things are this knowledge, this understanding that Allah sends down onto the hearts of the believers that then result in them leaving certain things, like leaving claims. Uh, so they they leave these claims and they 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 seek nothing other than Allah they seek other nothing other than Allah uh, and these three things that are mentioned here he says that these are uh, the order of of operations that that the way that things occur. They're, they're, they come in stages. So Imam Ghazali he says, for example, La Buddha fi kulli maqamin min maqamat and yaqeen min inmin wa halin wa amin. Fin inmu yuntijun hal wan halu yuntiju al amin. So he says Imam Ghazali says that in every station in one's journey to acquiring certainty there must be three steps and those three steps are knowledge and then a resulting state and then a resulting deed so it's the knowledge that leads to the state and the state that leads to the deed let's let's keep going bismillah bismillah number 47 a very important one 47 not so complicated as some of the other ones uh, but extremely important nonetheless so he says, لا تترك الذكرى لعدم حضورك مع الله فيه لأن غفلتك غفلتك عن وجود ذكره أشد من غفلتك في وجود ذكره فعسى أن يرفعك من ذكر مع وجود غفلة إلى ذكر مع وجود يقضى ومن ذكر مع وجود يقضى إلى ذكر مع وجود حضور ومن ذكر مع وجود حضور إلى ذكر مع غيبة عما سوى المذكور so he says in, <clears throat> in this one, he says that do not leave. Oh, there's the translation of now we shared it. Let's see it. Uh, do not abandon the invocation because you do not feel the presence of God therein. For your forgetfulness of the invocation of him is worse then you are forgetfulness in the invocation of him. Perhaps he will take you from an invocation with forgetfulness to one with vigilance, and from one with vigilance to one with the presence of God, and from one with the presence of God to one wherein everything but the invoked is absent, and that is not difficult for God. <clears throat> so, um, he says, Basically, what is the situation? Let me paint the situation. As we've seen before, sometimes paint the situation a little bit. It helps to understand. Forgive me for sitting in ways that are uh, not super formal. My legs don't really function that well on the floor for extended periods, as many of you know. So uh, he says, what is the situation? The situation is someone's trying to come closer to Allah. And they're trying to earn Allah's pleasure. And so they they make a lot of dhikr. So they just keep making dhikr, making dhikr, making dhikr, making dhikr, making dhikr. But they find in that that they're not really being attentive. 
So one of the things that often happens there is the person will say to themselves that, you know, I'm making this thicker, but I'm not really paying attention. So maybe I should just not do it. Right? I'm not I'm making this dhikr, but I'm not really paying attention. So maybe I should just not do it. You that that will oftentimes happen. So what he's saying here is don't do that. Don't do that. Don't don't be that person. Uh be the one who makes the dhikr and remembers Allah and remembers Allah and remembers Allah. And they don't feel it sometimes and they continue remembering Allah and they continue and they continue and they continue and they don't leave that axe. He said, because maybe you're remember you're making this dhikr, this remembrance, and you're not present in it. <clears throat> you're not present with Allah in it. Hudurika ma'allahi fi. You're not present with Allah in this dhikr that you're making. But just because you're doing that, don't leave it. Because for you to be heedless while making the act of dhikr is better for you than to be heedless without making dhikr. Okay, so like, let's just level it out. So what's the level it out? Level it out is to do it and not really focus that much is better than not doing it. So it's okay. Like it, It's still going to heal you. You know, the remembrance of God is still going to have a healing consequence on the heart of the person. So if they say Allah, they say La ilaha illallah, they say SubhanAllah, they say SubhanAllah wa bihamdi, they say SubhanAllah al-Azim, they say Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad, they say uh, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. These things, they have a healing effect on the heart, even if the heart is not attentive. So he's saying, even if you're not being attentive, you're not being present with Allah, still do not leave this act. Because maybe Allah will take you from a place where you're making this dhikr and you're heedless. And he'll take you from there to a place where you're making dhikr, but you're attentive. You're now awake a little bit. You're a little bit conscious now. And then maybe he'll take you from a place where you're attentive and you're awake to a place where you're really which are, which are different, right? So we, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably kind of recognize that, that there's times when we make a dhikr and we're completely checked out. You can use salah as an example too. Salah is a type of dhikr. If, if that makes this easier for you, maybe you're not someone who makes a lot of dhikr outside of what is established in the prayer and so on. If that's the case, then you know just use salah as an example. Use the prayer itself as an example. Sometimes we pray, sometimes we make dhikr, and we're totally checked out. Sometimes we do it, and we're we're aware that we're doing it. Like we're we're now like semi-focused and conscious and so on, but we're not really in flow, so to speak. I think that's what they like to say now with these popular terms and stuff. We're not really um, in in a place of flow, and so you know. So these are different stages. There's different stages. <coughs> There's a question, if you're not being attentive, would you still get the ajr? Inshallah, you still get some reward. You're still doing something good. You still intended some good from it. You might check out at some point, you know, but you started to do that. Um, and of course, if you didn't check out, then that would be even better. Sorry, I'm just hearing the rain. Sayyib and Nafian, Allahumma Sayyib and Nafian. Oh Allah, a downpour that is beneficial. Hawa alayna wa la alayna. Around us and not upon us in a way that would be harmful. Make Allah make it beneficial for us. Um, so, yeah, so you have this stage where you're not really attentive. Then you have the stage where you're attentive, but you're not really in flow or you're not really into it. And then you have a point where you're really present, right? But that's not where it stops actually for us which is kind of cool, you know? So there's like the way that people talk about it normally in our modern culture and stuff, you know, presence. Like once you get to presence, that's that's where you want to be, right? 
And actually what he mentions here is a level that's beyond that, which is that maybe you get to the point where you are attentive and then he'll take you from being attentive to being present with him. But you're still like conscious of your making the kid and so on and so forth, but you're present with Allah, you're really into it now. He says, and maybe he'll take you from there to a level wherein you witness nothing other than the one who is being remembered. Not, not the presence now. It's, it's a step beyond presence. You witness nothing other than the one who is being remembered, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's not, he says, then he quotes the verse, that that's not difficult for Allah. It's not difficult for Allah in any sort of way to take a person from one stage to the next as such. And generally, that is the rule of life. Remember when we said in Hikmah number three, that the lofty aspirations don't pierce the veils of destiny. So some things, there's qadr to them. You know, we had said, for example, someone, no matter how much they want to memorize the Qur'an, just wanting to do it is not going to take them through the necessary steps to do it. Or uh, someone wants to be present in their remembrance of God, but the vast majority of their life and their existence is not God. And they haven't done the work that's necessary to reach that point. You're not just going to reach that point. Now, maybe there's some miracle and God gives his, of course, Allah can do whatever he wants to do. But generally speaking, the, the, the pattern is that I have to work on my relationship with God. And in doing so, he'll take me from one place to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Interesting what he says here in the end of the commentary. Hmm. So he says in trying to like explain what this means. Sorry for the pause. That's all right. We're 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 in it together. Um, what he says is that you know you have this. You get to this place where you don't even see the remembrance that's happening on your tongue anymore. All you see is Allah. And if you get to that place, then it is Allah who's bringing that out on your tongue. And um, he quotes in reference to that the Hadith Qudsi where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the wali and how the wali comes closer to Allah by doing that which is obligatory and then after that they do the optional things until Allah loves them and when Allah loves them he becomes um, his, his hearing by which he hear, hears and his sight by which he sees and his tongue by which he speaks. So, uh, you know, like they, they reach that level of being with God. Uh, and he says that these like stages of, of progress, nobody understands them really except the person who goes through them. Nobody can understand them. So the, the, nobody know, understands the reality of them except the one who's traveling upon them and taking that route. Uh, he says, so he says so if you're not from those people you can understand this because you're not on that journey or maybe you haven't reached that stage in your journey yet then just accept it and submit to it as reality if you're not from those people and he quotes the verse from the Quran and don't listen to uh, don't follow the desires of those who do not know. 
don't follow the desires of those who do not know. And I feel like this subhanAllah is actually really profound. Um, because a lot of times like we, you know, part of why an interpretive tradition is important to how we understand our religion is that it helps us to engage with the religion in a way that is less subjective. There's going to be, of course, some level of subjectivity still, but the interpretive methods are there and, and worked through century upon century upon century and accepted by the vast majority of the ummah and so on, such that we can try to rein in that subjectivity a little bit. And we're not always reading our own opinions and our own desires onto the text. Right, because that's very common. You know, I have an I have not only an opinion, it's not only an intellectual thing, but it's it's oftentimes a thing like in the nefs, it's a desire. And I'm gonna read that desire onto the text. And um yeah, it's a very uh it's a very scary thing. It's a very scary thing. We're only forty two minutes in. So we shall continue, inshallah. Uh, someone said, some people hold a subha all the time and often in doing regular activities, it seems odd. Uh, it is odd. The Prophet them said to remember Allah so much so that people think you're crazy. So there is something odd about that. Um, but it's not necessarily a bad odd. However, the person should be kind of conscious of it because you know sometimes they're sometimes it becomes like more of a status symbol than, than an actual tool of remembrance. But I, I I would venture to say that if we were to go back like probably a hundred, hundred fifty, two hundred years, maybe not even that far, hundred years, and look for like all the righteous, all the people who are known for righteousness. Because I think part of you know what's connected to this is that our, at least in America, our understanding of religiosity doesn't have a whole lot to do with dhikr for some reason. You know, dhikr didn't become like part of our, our thing. But when you read the history of Islam and you uh, look at even like old pictures, you start to ask stories, stuff like that about go to like the grandparents' generation and before them, you always see that these people were people of immense dhikr, immense dhikr, like not even just a few, you know, subhanallahs here and there because I feel like saying subhanallah, but they would sit and make, you know, I'm going to say subhanallah a thousand times today. And I'm going to say la ilaha illallah a thousand times today. And I'm going to send salah on the Prophet so five thousand times today. And it sounds crazy when you first hear it because, again, we're so far removed from it. I remember when I first started teaching commentary on the Burda of Imam al-Busiri, the praise poem of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I uh, contacted one of my teachers and I spoke to him about it. And when I was speaking to him about it, he, um, you know, I was asking, like, are there resources I can use and so on and so forth to prepare for the presentation? He said the most important thing that you can do to prepare for the presentation is, I can't remember the number now. I think he said to send Salah on the Prophet, so I send them maybe 500 times. He said, if that's too much, at least do like 200, you know. Um and I remember at that time thinking, because I wasn't really like familiar with that or connected, I didn't have any sort of relationship to that. So when he said 500, let's just go with 500, I was like, whoa, that's a crazy amount. Like, how am I going to do 500 salat on the Prophet? And then you actually sit down to do 500 salah on the Prophet which he said, by the way, that anyone who does it, Allah does salah on him, sends his mercy upon them, and and the angels do, and that the and and that it raises the person ten ranks for ten deeds for every Muhammad. Every time you say it, you go up ten. Ten bad things are taken away. I mean, like there's immense reward for salawat, and it's. Agreed upon very clear in the in the books. 
So when I first heard, I was like, what, 500? That's crazy. How am I going to do 500, you know? We're all in isolation now. Many of us, most of us are in isolation now. Sit down and do 500 and tell me how long it takes you. It's probably going to take you like 15, 20 minutes. Max. 20 minutes maybe, 15, 20 minutes. And then tell me like how much time you spend on the phone. I know that in these last few days, my daily phone reports have been insane. So, uh, you know, it's not really that much to do 500 salawat. It's not really that much to do so much dhikr. Uh, so those, those are good things. And yes, they would use the sibha, as is mentioned in the comments. They would use the sibha as a means that reminds them you know, I don't usually hold it in my hand, partially because what was mentioned, that people kind of think it's weird and stuff like that. But usually I have it right here, my left front pocket. It's usually Sibha right there, and I could feel it like on my, in my pocket. So that it's, it's a reminder that I, I need to do that. And I don't do as much as I should. But many of, uh, many righteous people that we've, I've met, they do not leave it. And it is with them all the time. And they are always making zikr. To the point, again, that someone who's not accustomed to it, it comes off kind of weird. But isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? That, you know, when the person came to the Prophet and asked them, give me an advice. And he said, let your tongue always be moist with the remembrance of God. Let your tongue always be moist with the remembrance of God. You know, some of these advices that were going around about the virus is that if you keep the back of your mouth kind of wet, you know, keep it, then that helps in uh, protecting oneself from the virus, uh, vir viral infections in general and so on. I don't know if these things are true or not. It's just stuff that's going around. But the point is, I think it is. That's why people talk about zinc lozenges and stuff. But anyways, this is the hadith is saying, keep your tongue moist. Keep your mouth moist with the remembrance of God. And it should always be there. Always be there. And that's one of the sign that's one of the, the markers of the believers. It's one of the markers of the believers. Uh, of course, if it like starts getting obnoxious and it's getting in the way and like someone's speaking to you and you're like really clearly making liquid in their face or stuff like that, it's probably not also the best manners. Um, I've had I've I've heard of um, teachers, for example, saying that like when you're sitting in a lesson and you're trying to take knowledge from someone, that it's not really appropriate to make to have your sibha and like make dhikr in front of them because like, so are you making dhikr or are you taking the knowledge? And the knowledge is a type of dhikr too. Learning is is an act of dhikr. Reciting the Quran is an act of dhikr, uh, so on. All right, I feel like I've belabored that point too much now. Inshallah, it's clear. Allah make us people of dhikr. Make us from the dhakirun. Al-dhakirun Allah kathirun wa dhakirat. May he make us from those men and women who remember him a lot. Inshallah, ameen. All right. So I'm just trying to figure out how much more we should do. The next three are kind of all. They're kind of all interrelated. So let's do it. Number 48. من علامات موت قلبي عدم الحزن على ما فاتك من الموافقات. وترك الندم على ما فعلته فعلته من وجود الزلات so he says that the sign that your heart, oh, a sign of the heart's death is the absence of sadness over the acts of obedience you have neglected 
and the abandonment of regret over the mistakes you have made. Sign. Man, uh, actually, a more correct translation would probably be to say, from the signs, min alamati mautin qalbi, from the signs of the death of one's heart are the following. So these he gives because he gives two also. Um, so one of them is that there's no sadness over the good deeds that one misses. There's no sadness over the good deeds that one misses. And the second one is that there's no regret over the mistakes that a person makes. There's no sadness over the good deeds that one misses, and there's no regret over the mistakes that the person makes. This is a sign that the heart is not really working as strongly. Because the heart is yearning, yearning, yearning for God. When it's alive, it's yearning for God. And it's not about the accounting. It's about, I want to be with God. And so the um, when a good opportunity to do good is missed, then the heart is upset. You know, and when a mistake is made, then the heart is upset. That's a sign of its life. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said, "Men sarratu hasanatu, wasaatu sayyatu, fahuwa mu'min." He said, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that the one whose um, good deeds make them happy, and their bad deeds make them upset, then that person is a believer. Their good deeds make them happy, and their bad deeds make them upset. That person is a believer, and it's a sign that they're a believer. Uh, and of course, that you know, one puts effort into trying to make that happen. Forty-nine is la yaavum dhambu. Uh, the the heart does die, by the way. You know, the, the heart does have life. It can go through times of great life, and it can go through times of of um, great fatigue and struggle. But that that is one of the qualities of the heart, and that it can it can be exercised, and it can become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and build its capacity to do good. Um, so you know that's that's a real thing. That the the death of the heart is a real thing. Forty-nine. So uh, he says, Don't magnify. Let's see how what word. Let no sin reach such proportion in your eyes that it cuts you off from having a good opinion of God. For indeed, whoever knows his Lord consider his sin as paltry next to his generosity, capital H. So this idea here is that whatever the sin that a person committed, they should not make it so big in their eyes that it cuts them off from thinking well of Allah. Think that it's a sin. So the one before it, they're supposed to have regret over the mistakes that they make. So have the regret. Be upset. This thing that I did, it was a mistake. It was a bad mistake. I shouldn't have done this. It was horrible. So on and so forth. Whatever. Just don't make it so big that it cuts you off from recognizing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who forgives all sins. And that when we turn to Him in repentance, He will accept that. We have to have husn al-dhan billah. We have to think well of Allah. That when he says he will forgive us, he will forgive us. And that when he says he is the most merciful, he is the most merciful. And when he says he is the one who turns back to the believers and forgives them of their sins, that he is the one who turns back to the believers and forgives them of their sins. We have to believe that. We have to think well of him in that way, subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorified and exalted is he. And we should not let our look towards ourselves cause us to be blind in re as regards our Lord. So sometimes we're so overwhelmed with that sin that we did. And oftentimes, because of the way that we grew up, you know, that's what was done to us, is that you can never recover, and it's always going to be with you, and this and that, and like you know, over small things oftentimes. And then that makes the sin so big that we can't, it, it actually, it prevents us from thinking well of Allah. It says, because the one who knows his Lord, uh, the one who knows his Lord 
um, when they, the person who knows their Lord, when they put their sin next to the generosity of their Lord, the, the sin looks like nothing, you know, because they're looking at the generosity of Allah. They're looking at the forgiveness of Allah. They're looking at the beauty of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But don't let that get out of control. It's balanced with the other one, the next one that comes after it. لَا صَغِيرَةَ إِذَا قَابَلَكَ عَدْلٌ وَلَا كَبِيرَةَ إِذَا وَاجَهَكَ فَضْلٌ says, لَا صَغِيرَةَ إِذَا قَابَلَكَ عَدْلٌ وَلَا كَبِيرَةَ إِذَا وَاجَهَكَ فَضْلٌ That there is no small sin if you are putting it in front of Allah's justice. There is no small sin if you are putting it in front of Allah's justice. And there is no major sin if you are putting it in front of Allah's bounty. Okay. I don't know. There is no minor sin when His justice confronts you, and there is no major sin when His grace confronts you. So which angle are you looking from? Are you looking from His justice? Then every everything is a big deal. Are you looking from His mercy? Then all of it is forgiven. And of course, we have to try to balance these two. But... We balance them in such a way that we continue on the journey. So, you know, if we find that our emphasis on His justice is becoming inhibitory, then we need to emphasize His mercy. And if we're emphasizing His mercy so much that it's causing us to be kind of lax in our accountability with ourselves, then we need to emphasize a little bit of His justice. So that is the end of number 50. Which brings us to uh, 51. Um, but there's a nice line of uh, thing that he says in the commentary. He says that I say what Imam Abu Hassan al-Shadhani radiallahu anhu used to say, which is, Allahumma ja'al sayyatina sayyati man ahbabt wala taj'al hasanatina hasanati man abghadt fan ihsanu la yanfa'u ma'al bughdi mink wal isa'atu la tadurru ma'al hubbi mink He says, I, I make the dua in the context of all of this His mercy, His forgiveness, His justice, big sins, minor sins, so on and so forth he says, I make the dua of Abu Hassan al-Shadri radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said, Oh Allah, make our sins the sins of those whom you love and do not make our good deeds the good deeds of one whom you hate because doing well, doing good doesn't benefit if you are displeased with us. And do and making mistakes does not harm if you are pleased with us, with if you are if you love us. Subhanak, 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 Subhanak. So these are the hikam inshallah we'll stop here. We'll continue next week on fifty one. And I forgot to do the recording again. SubhanAllah of the audio. I'll have to um, extract it from the video, inshallah. Uh, any last questions or anything that anyone has before we close? There's a little bit of a delay, so I have to wait after saying that. I'm not seeing anything, so I'm just going to keep it moving. Inshallah, may all of you be well.
May all of you be well, may all of you be safe. May all of you be healthy. Is it also saying that we should push ourselves to doing as many good deeds so we don't have regrets? Perhaps, I don't think it's directly saying that, but I think you could legitimately um, kind of like pull that from, from the various things that do come into the hikmah. Uh, if, if one has sadness over the good deeds that they've missed, then, you know, part of avoiding that, that sadness would be to try to take opportunities as they come. Um, so I suppose you could say that. Yes, the heart is like a bird. Love has its, has its head and its two wings are hope and fear. Ibn Qayyim and, jo Ibn Qayyim and Josiah, yes. Um, Tayyip, Bismillah. May everyone be well. May everyone be safe. May everyone be good. And may we find opportunities to worship and serve our Lord in, uh, in these difficult times. If the heart is dead, is there any hope to revive it? Isn't the heart in a state of flux so long as we are alive, at least until I test? Absolutely. If the, if, the, if the heart is dead, it's, you know, it's not like a, um, a permanent death. In the vast majority of cases, you know, and, unless it, the person gets to the point where that Allah has sealed over their hearts, but so you know, that's not generally the case with believers. Generally, the case with believers is that there's something there, there's a spark there, and when it's lit, it's lit, and um, and the heart can be can turn and it can turn very quickly and very powerfully. And that as long as we're still here, we still have hope. And uh, if we feel that our heart is not alive, then it's not actually like the resuscitation is not such a complicated issue. You know, the resuscitation is to acknowledge one's mistakes, to make toba, and to intend to do well, and then engage in acts of worship and goodness. And that will, inshallah, be a means to bring that heart back to life and, and for it to experience greater and greater life. Inshallah. Inshallah. Alrighty. Until we meet again tomorrow night, Inshallah, we will have uh, tafsir. My uh, my wife, Sheikha Muslima, will continue her tafsir of Juzamma. Um, usually, you know, in the past, the only majlis classes that have been live streamed have been mine. So this week and the coming weeks, there's opportunities to benefit from some of the other instructors that we have at the majlis. And so Tuesday nights is with Sheikha Muslima in Tafsir. I don't actually remember where she has reached to, but she's still in Juzamma, the last 30th of the Quran. And uh, it will be similar time as tonight was, you know, just after seven-ish, so that there's time to pray Maghrib and so on. And then also on Wednesdays will be Ustad Fuad Al-Gawhari. Um, and now he's teaching on the life and character of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on Wednesday nights, and it's similar time. So a uh, chance to benefit from those things, inshallah. I think I, I covered the time thing, but basically shortly after Maghrib. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, same times. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, shortly after Maghrib. 
probably until Maghrib gets out to like 7.30ish. When it gets out to there, then we'll shift back to starting at 7 probably. But for now, shortly after Maghrib, inshallah. Okay, barakallahu fikum wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Subhanallah Alhamdulillah, الذي بنعمته تتم الصالحات. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله.